Welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Today we are reflecting on our conversation with Eden's lifelong friend, Kyle Treby. He talked about his road to recovery and he's going through it. Yeah. Um, Just like kudos for that, right? To be here to talk about his early journey Right. On his road to recovery, uh, a vulnerable, emotional conversation mm-hmm. and share. Yeah. And I think like um, a healing part of the journey right. is to share what he's going through and yeah. what he's learned and his ups and downs. So like, if nothing else, kudos to Kyle for, for being on and wanting mm-hmm. to be on yeah. uh, to share his stuff. Yeah. Um one of the things that we make reference to in the episode, um, for those that are just listening, uh, is uh, that emotions wheel, which he had brought with him. So there's these different tools that he can use, that he can see vocabulary around being able to express his emotions mm-hmm. in a way that he's not been able to do before. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of hiding behind the substance and then um, going through this, his journey of recovery is also, is not, it's not just about, um, it's not just about stopping the drinking. It's about also revealing more and more who he is right. and being open to be transparent and to be vulnerable and authentic. Yeah. Um, which is in connection with not drinking a, right? Because so many people, so many people drink to try to share more of who they are. And so that's a, that's a bigger work, but it sounds like he has a lot of support too, Mm -hmm. um, which is huge. Uh, Drive and courage and grit. So how I would describe kind of mm-hmm. Kyle and him showing up here in this space mm-hmm. and um, wanting to help others, wanting to help himself and help others through his story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about Amherst, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just kind of had some thoughts as I was processing that. Mm. Um, like it's a privilege for, I, I feel like it was a privilege for me to grow up there in that mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. Um, kind of this safe, supportive community of folks that all care about each other. Sure. And I think at, at certain points, maybe we, we um, talked negatively about it or mm-hmm. shared things about it maybe in a negative light. That's mm-hmm. not how I speak about Amherst or the, the humans in Amherst. Mm-hmm. I have a, a ton of friends and family that still call that home. I visit often. Um, I speak about it fondly when talking about childhood. Right. And um, maybe just a clarifier uh, as we get into that. Um, yeah. So amazing community made, made up of some incredible human beings living in Amherst, Wisconsin. And it, it was a privilege to live and grow up and go to school with your best friends every mm-hmm. day. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a single building, K through 12 space. Um, yeah, it, it was a neat experience. Um, 
And I think it's a hard place to start over. For as Kyle was describing, and I think where that conversation took place, and it's a hard place to get out of and get out of that culture and find yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of the clarification I wanted to make when I was thinking back on how we described Amherst. There's a lot of good happening in Amherst. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's good to note. So thank you um, for for that clarification. Um. What else? Yeah, I mean, I just process stuff, right? That's my childhood buddy pouring his heart out there. So these last yeah. few days have just kind of been me processing uh, my role in uh, his addiction, my role in his recovery, how I can be supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, I have uh, have a complicated um, history with alcohol myself. Sure. I, I was alongside him partying. That's what right. we did for a long period of time, for a long yeah. stretch of time. Um so I was feeling and processing those things uh, mm-hmm. in, in conversation and as, as I was processing what we talked about um, and, and his journey and his recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where I used to be, how I used it and abused it. A lot of that um, as we were talking about his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then where I'm at currently with it. Right. So, yes. You got a question? You can ask me a question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, does it make you think about making any changes currently? or? How? Yeah, I think I have made some changes. Sure. I have a healthier relationship with alcohol right. than I had in the past. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, ages 18 to mid-20s was, was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Was using and abusing regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was lifestyle stuff. So right. my lifestyle is healthier. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know if I feel guilty or responsible or any of those feelings, just like we were in that together. We were in right. that lifestyle together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, right, like even for, for him, he was describing, you know, places that he might want to avoid for right now as he moves through recovery so that he's not triggered or doesn't go back to yeah. that use. But he's also... Um, as is the case, I think, with a lot of people that are that go through recovery, also recognizing that he's making this change for him, and he's not he's not judging other people that yeah. are um, that might that drink at all or that drink to excess, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is important, right? Like you take responsibility for yourself and for what what you need to do for you. And it sounds like he's there. Yeah. Based on yeah, yeah exactly. based on what we heard. It sounds yeah. like he's there. Yeah. He so, talked about like how grateful he was, the yeah. lens of how grateful he is in interacting with friends and family, uh, all of the things that he has. Um, that struck me and stands out as a key point of, of our discussion. Those supports across, um, right, from the people that are, that are supporting him closely within the program, mm-hmm. right. as well as, and this is that, that treatment court 
program, um, as well as friends, as well as his partner and like people in his people mm -hmm. close to him as and the people that are working within that um, program structure that have been supports to him and at the jail, right? Like people that have been supportive there. Um, so again, that's, you know, so, so that combination of, of having and the supports of the people who, who are going through the program with him. Right? right. So you have the tools, you have this emotion wheel, you have whatever other, other tools that he's using to help to stay on track and those supportive people that continue to help him see more and more who he is mm -hmm. um, and the confidence piece mm -hmm. and helping gain and sustain that confidence. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. It was a big deal for him to be here yeah. and do this interview. It was a big deal for us to yeah. have him here and hold space for that conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was hard, right? Yeah. And and it was hard, uh, at least for me. I can speak for myself. Mm -hmm. um, processing some of that stuff, being support, uh, hearing his journey, seeing that emotion, feeling that emotion. Uh, it can yeah, be they... both. It can be both good and hard. I think that's the that's another question is you didn't know what he was going through until he was going through the program. Um, specifically, well, because right, like he, this is on the heels of his sixth OWI. So, were you? So did you know had... about the previous ones? Were you concerned? Did you have any? Uh, sure. Until sure. Yeah. Uh, unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Sure. Um, was there for a couple of his OWIs. Right. Um, was present with him. Um, but didn't know the day to day for a good chunk of time. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't know what that looked like. What his struggles were when he was working out of state, out of town. Mm -hmm. um, Uh, until I did, until right. I heard that he got in trouble again. Um, so I think it was that was your question. It was like yeah, yeah. Uh, how how much of that was yeah. a surprise to me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I think I knew that he had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I knew that it was a problem. I didn't know how much he was driving when he was working, mm -hmm. or how he was managing that, or how he was managing being alone um, at work. Um, and some of that he said he purposefully hit. Right. He kept it in. He, yeah. he wasn't going to tell anybody about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel so good that he's in a place where he's on his road to recovery. Mm -hmm. And that he's confident enough to talk about that um, and share that and yeah. ask for help and support. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's ups and downs, right? And it will be challenging. And he's still probably early on in the in the in the whole process and journey, um, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really good conversation. It was cool to see 
um, it's cool to see where he's at not knowing him. So I think the Mm -hmm. conversation on my side was a little bit, it was less challenging in terms of like just having met him and not having a history. Um, but it was cool to, to kind of, and now, you know, everyone listening or watching will, will be able to see a little bit into his journey, but also a little bit into your connection with him and that, um, and that friendship as well. Mm -hmm. So that was cool, um, to kind of be a little bit outside and, and see into that, into that part of it too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it was a challenging conversation to have. And yeah, I think our responsibility is to just as we do for all of our guests to leave space for that and, and make sure that people are, are feeling that, okay, they don't have to like keep going if they need to take a, <laughs> take mm-hmm. a, take a step mm-hmm. back. So, yeah. Oh, I love you, Kyle. Thanks for being on. Uh, come back and share your journey with us. Um, look forward to hearing uh, the success and challenges in your, your road to recovery. Same. I appreciate you, buddy. Yes. Thank you. No, I've seen you guys a grown up adult now versus compared to what we what we were freaking yeah. in our childhood youth. You just beat me to this uh, to the start. But Maybe. that's all I'm still working on it. All, um, <laughs> it's a journey for me too man. You're a little farther than I am. Maybe. Those are the stories though that are relatable for people, right? Like there's a lot of people, um, with the exception of myself, because I was a goody two shoes in high school. Um, Were you? I was. Because um, <laughs> like, there's a lot of people that have those stories, right? And so it's you can get stuck in those in in that that past self way of being and thinking, um, and it's interesting. I think it can be interesting for people to see, like, well, where are you now and what does that look like and and um how can you untie from that that high school or college identity and accept the identity that you have here today well it uh definitely took me 40 years to get to this point yeah and probably 39 and a half of it was uh fun and games and so like I said, I discovered alcohol at a young age at 15 and 16, and that was my way to suppress my feelings and suppress uh, emotions, and it gave me the confidence that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And then the more that I drank and the more that I drank, and it became a, a re- release and an outlet for everything. And uh, it gave me a lot of trouble throughout my life, and this last... Uh, Last ball with the law, I got to uh, participate in a program called Treatment Court, where mm-hmm. they uh, where they gave me the opportunity instead of going to prison, I got to participate in this program, and it's fourteen months long. And uh, so I served my. Let's, if you don't mind, because I do want to come back to where you are today. 
and what that is, because that sounds really interesting and, um, you well, know, to, ha you? to have an alternative. Um, but I'm, I am interested in what were those early on emotions and feelings that you were trying to I mean, we're jumping right in. Yeah, yeah and what okay? your point was, that's fine, I think, right? You're yeah. comfortable in that. Yeah, I, and like I, I, I said, we'll review yeah. this. And um, yeah, your point was some people never untie from high school stuff or college stuff, or that is their oh, identity. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that because you look back on that and you say, that's who I was during that time. Mm -hmm. I think what you're describing is like, well, that, that's still part of you. That's yeah. still part of us of who we are. Yeah. And we've grown and evolved and learned things because of those experiences. Yes, it's right. all not like it's yeah. all part. It's all part of our journey of life yeah, where we got to this point. And, and some people never do judge. that, maybe, or yeah, and not to judge yourself or feel mm -hmm. guilt about it or feel mm -hmm. ashamed about it mm -hmm. or process some of that stuff. Right. Is that where you were going with? Yeah, you, with yeah, the, with that original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, those early on feelings, emotions, because it's really interesting, I think, especially for men and for women, too. Um, there's a lot of societal impact, I think, um, but what were some of those early things that you were trying to escape from with? Um, a lot of it was, uh, like, I really don't want to say anything too bad about my family, but mm -hmm. just because uh, I know there is no guideline, there is no book to be a perfect parent and all right. that other stuff. But I grew up with an alcoholic father and uh, then I, my mother was trying to overcompensate and trying to do everything. So I got one that was doing not a whole lot and then one that was trying to do everything and make life perfect and try to put up this mirage herself that we had this big happy family when we probably really didn't. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, also, I know she, uh, growing up that she was giving my brother more attention or he was striving more to get more attention from her. Me being the younger one, I kind of just learned to accept that it is what it is. I'm not going to cry about it. And that was another thing that growing up was with my, or with my father was uh, saying when I would be crying or whatever, he's like, crying's not going to get you anywhere. Just get over it. Mm -hmm. So I've always been very quick to adapt to things, and it started at a young age, and I realize that now that I figured out really fast to create my own little world. Because mm -hmm. basically, I had uh, I had my pets, and that was kind of my my thing when I was very young, growing up. And then as I got older, yeah, we had our childhood friends and our stuff like that and that was kind of an outlet but as we got older and then all of a sudden say your drugs and alcohol become available mm -hmm. that's when the that's when that i'd say suppression and all that other stuff really came into play the don't have feelings the don't cry it's not okay to express emotions as a man i mean that's the traditional view of what masculinity is though i think right like that's that's normal at least yeah. for a generationalist to say well you can't feel those feelings we had that conversation a little bit with alex mm -hmm. about how he felt pressure from his father right similarly that don't you know you're told don't cry or don't be a pussy or man up or all of yeah. those things that aren't helpful when you're exploring emotions as a child or as an adolescent mm -hmm. Yeah, and then like having a an older brother and and a lot of his friends or whatever, he, they're picking on you, and you're the mm. brunt. And I was the uh, 
youngest grandchild and then we had several cousins and I was always the, the youngest and so if I was the one ever crying it was like knock it off cry it up or I would try to mm -hmm. suck it up and just try and look like a tough guy for those guys as well right but yeah and yeah it's been quite the uh, journey and we can get into the, the deepness of it later but now I now as I tell my counselor I feel like I'm an emotional mess but I'm not because I finally I've learned to express everything. Well, I think that's interesting though, right? Like this feeling like like one is an emotional mess. I think that can come from again those societal pressures yeah. to not be emotional to yes. not, right as though we're not human beings. Mm. <laughs> right? um, so that's the tension. That, that we want to get closer to uh, exploring our emotions or showing our emotions, but then we also want to look like we're in control of our emotions and that we're not a wreck. Is that what you were describing? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's this idea that to be in control of your emotions is to not cry or to... Um, even even joyful things, yeah. right? There, there's this idea that if you're in control of your emotions, you're just even keel the whole time, that you don't express great joy and excitement um, or that you don't express like deep-seated sadness. And so I'm interested in your thoughts on that and maybe where you are now. So, right, we can talk about the the emotional journey through sadness and maybe maybe some anger um but then also what is that what does the flip side of that look like for you as well are you able to also explore and express those moments of joy and excitement and exuberance i'm trying to think of like the yeah. the zestiest ways to <laughs> to put it yeah, because uh, for, for the longest time, like you could say, I would describe even keel, that was me. I was, mm -hmm. there was not many highs, there was not many lows. I had trained myself just to be almost, I'm going to say, a zombie or, right. but it was just like that. Because I know there was uh, one time when we were in, uh, my brother was in ICU because he had uh, tissue cancer. We were sitting in the icy room and it was just even keel. And like, as soon as <laughs> my mom probably doesn't remember this, but that day she called me a cold hearted prick because I didn't show any emotion. And, uh, the sad thing is it didn't even, even register to me. It was just, I, this is who I am. I'm mm -hmm. was, I felt like I'm the rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm the emotional rock. I'm the one who can, anybody can lean on. Although I, <laughs> I'm, about ready to crumble inside myself, but I can hold myself together for everybody else. Why did you feel like you had to be that? Was that the result of upbringing? And I'm selfishly asking that because that is sometimes how I still, I'm, you know, we're all works yeah. in progress. That's sometimes still how I feel like I have to be um, the strong person for everybody else in my life. So for you, what, why did you feel that way, that you had to be that person? Honestly, I, I 
probably, I don't know how I could tell you why. It's just, I don't know, that's just who I became, and it just mm-hmm. felt like that was my role. Right. Like, I needed to be the stable one. But other than that, I couldn't tell you. I just yeah. kind of fell into that role, and and like a lot of the people that I had worked with for over the years, and there would be big things going on, and like, oh my God, this is chaos. It's all we, something's about to go wrong, and I would just be sitting there calmly and thinking, and they're just sitting there like, how are you not... Mm-hmm. But like, now, now, as I, said, I was telling Eden uh, on the way here, I got to see my nieces for the first time since uh, January, and I was, I felt like I was an emotional mess, but I wasn't. But I got to, like I said, with uh, learning my emotions and processing so much over the past six months, it's just as my uh, counselor tells me, he's like, Kyle, you bottled everything up for thirty years. It's just going to keep flowing out. So, yeah, there's a lot of tears on uh, Thursday evening and Friday morning. Mm. Let's talk about the present and what, what happened in the last six months that brought you to here and sharing. Yeah. Because we can even just go back just a hair bit farther, but like I, I got in another OWI in my life, and I was facing going to uh, prison in the uh, in Vernon County. They have a, a program called Treatment Court, and a lot of the counties in the state have it, but a lot of them don't utilize the resources to mm-hmm. do it. And uh, I had met with the counselor, and I met with the program coordinator, and I met with the judge, and. Uh, basically asked if I could be a participant and I wasn't supposed to be allowed to be a participant because I wasn't a resident of their county. Mm. Okay. So I ended up selling my house and pretty much everything that's my name and I moved down there. And then once we got, uh, that showed my dedication to them mm-hmm. that I was willing to do it, they accepted me into it. And then uh, on January 24th, I got sentenced, I was supposed to serve nine months in jail. But if you take away the uh, good time, it was supposed to be a little less than seven months. And then I worked every day in the kitchen while I was there. I worked off another 66 days off my sentence. So I got Mm -hmm. out in four and a half months instead of the nine months that I was sentenced. And while I was in there, they would let me out on Tuesday and Thursday evenings to go meet with my counselor and uh, be a part of the treatment group. And that's when, right right away off the bat, I think it was their third uh, group, and I barely knew anybody in there. They set me up in front of the whiteboard and said, Kyle, here's uh, X and here's Y. Tell us the journey of your life and how you got to where you are right now. Mm. So then I had to tell them basically a quick rundown story because I only had 90 minutes, but it was basically I was born and so on and so on. And at 16, I was there 15, 16, introduced to alcohol and then major life events that happened. And while I was doing that, I'm like, I felt smaller and smaller and smaller as the room was going or as the, in the room as the day was going, but every one of those guys in there is so supportive mm-hmm. and they, uh, helped me through it. And I, that was probably the first time that I cried in front of them. And, and, uh, that's when the counselor said to me, it was, Kyle, I know what I'm going to make you do. 
because he's like, your confidence is so low. And uh, he made me write my autobiography. So since I was in jail and I had plenty of time to do that, uh, I ended up writing over 15 pages of just things and so on. And then once we, once I finished that, I did that in about a week and a half. Then uh, we went through every little story or an event and he made me sit with this, this wheel. And this is how he taught me my emotions. He would sit there. He said, how does it make you feel sad or angry or the yeah. wheel of emotion? Is that that? Yes. Yeah. That's a cool tool. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, we did that and we'd start at just so it was sad or start in the middle and you work your way out and we would talk about it. And, uh, there's a lot of, so he would have you, um, talk through the stories that you wrote down and ask how those different stories, yeah, the yeah, different we, scenarios yeah, made we, you feel? Yeah, we worked from each okay, story cool. from a young age going up to present day and just like, how did it make you feel? Like yeah. it was just each step and it was, when we first started, it was, <laughs> it was rather painful for me. Right. And, uh, we struggled to get through one story a session and I was seeing them twice a week and by the time we were getting towards the end of it, it was, we were starting to whip through things rather quickly. And he mm -hmm. taught, he taught me, uh, emotional regulation, which is probably the biggest thing was, uh, like kind of separate yourself from things and, mm -hmm. and learn and identify your triggers, whether they're emotional or cognitive or environmental, just so you can process it and not just rip. He taught me how to respond instead of react was the big thing. Mm -hmm. Before this, these were out of touch. These were things you didn't even think about. These were maybe things you were feeling but didn't have names for. I would say I probably knew I had that. I did not understand that. I did yeah. not. Basically, I knew it. For me, it was like two emotions. It was like I was happy or I was mad. Yeah. And that was about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned while in counseling, he taught me that anger is more of a secondary emotion because you really don't understand you get angry because you don't understand all your other emotions that mm. you're feeling right mm -hmm. so once i started learning all that other stuff it felt like uh as i always told them i felt like i was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and once i learned all this stuff and i got all that burden that i think that i was carrying that i put on myself mm -hmm. it felt uh I'd say liberating. You talked about your relationship with your counselor and your therapist and how important he has been to you. Yes. Can you share a little bit about that and what they call you, what they refer to you as? <laughs> oh, he calls me the golden child. Yeah. He told me they're pretty much, I'm the only one that he's had this quickly. He said there was another gentleman that was pretty close, but he didn't have this wheel at the time. Mm. And, uh, but he, uh, he calls me the golden child. I know the, uh, the current judge that just took over, he calls me the poster boy of the program. But I know everybody is very, uh, impressed with it, how far I've come. And even the, uh, the correctional staff at the jail has probably been some of my biggest supporters as well, because they've seen me change drastically from the day that I walked in with pretty much somebody that was just a smart ass and didn't know anything to now 
they see me come in. I actually work in the kitchen in the jail right now. And uh, so they'll come in and BS with me and, and I have to go in for UAs. I, I, they sit there and BS with me for 10, 15 minutes, see how things are going. What's a UA? Uh, urine analysis. Oh. Or drug testing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's great. That community has been so supportive and the, everybody in that program has been so supportive from the judge to the coordinator to the counselor to mm-hmm. anybody that has the smallest part to it. I just, yeah, it's changed my life, and I, I don't know how I'll ever be able to thank anybody mm-hmm. for doing this mm-hmm. or allowing me to do this. As part of your recovery, um, did you talk about alcohol, alcoholism, understand what it is, understand the disease a little bit? Um, where in your recovery journey did that stuff take place, or is it taking place? Uh, it, it's... It's taken pace a little bit. It's um, that's a good way to put it. We've talked about it, not to an extreme amount, but having an alcoholic father and other members down the old family tree that yeah. are, uh, he said I was a lot more susceptible to it right. versus say some people that don't have it. But that we really don't talk that much about the disease. It's more of how we. Uh, what do we want to do with our next steps and yeah. process and so on? Like for me, the big thing was my emotions were my problem. But I know uh, several guys in our group, some were emotions, some were other things. And it was just what everybody that I've learned in our group, they had some kind of tragedy or some kind of something bad happened in their youth. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote me a letter. I wanted to read some of it. Um, and maybe have you unpack some of it. Um, You were talking about kind of what you were doing for the counseling and the recovery. I'm excited for this opportunity to learn how to start my life over, especially saying for the past five or six years, I developed an emptiness inside of me that no matter who I was around, dating or whatever I was doing, could fill, could not fill, but beer could. It took, all, it took all of my stressors, anxiety, and other issues away. I guess I was good at hiding the, that emptiness from everyone. Uh, I thought that was a powerful way to kind of describe where you were at then um, and helped me understand where you were at then. I don't know if you want to speak to any of that, unpack any uh, of that. Excuse me, man. Because I think it's helpful. It's hard and it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that was uh, uh, 2018, yeah, there was just, I was working out of state and certain things happened in life and I was already drinking a lot and uh, all of a sudden I felt here I am four plus hours from home, felt alone and yeah, that yeah. was, that's probably already having struggles with alcohol. That, uh. came my outlet mm-hmm. so and it wasn't just here and there it became every day what are your outlets today uh, cause, well, actually back then and like how I told you that I was uh, 
hiding behind my mirage or the wall that I had painted for everybody to see me. But uh, now I'm trying to be a lot more transparent. So that way, yeah, uh, I've learned to talk and discuss instead of going home and what I used to do. Mm. Of, let's go to the nearest gas station, buy a 12 pack or a case or whatever and drink the night away and hope, hopefully the problem would be gone the next day because that seemed to be my theory of life. Yeah. Was, uh, that was a go away. And it never did. At least temporarily. We uh, trick ourselves into thinking it will. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, after I did this, and I obviously wrote that to you and several people that I worked with and other things they said to me, they're like, you must be one of the best actors that I know because I've never seen any of the three you are that good at hiding it. Because, yeah, pretty much not a lot of people knew. I knew, uh, I know my mom knew, but that was about it. That, that you had this feeling of emptiness inside yeah. that you, yeah, that you were, had anxiety. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that and another thing that was always bothering me was being overlooked. And that was something that I struggled with, with being the youngest child. And then several things that throughout life, it was always seemed like I always got overlooked. And that was another thing that I struggle with. And I still struggle with today. So if something comes up and, oh, we'll just do that. Or we'll just choose that guy. And I'm like, why don't you give me a chance? Mm. That's just another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we talked earlier, you talked about not being told that you, um, the feeling that people were uh, proud of you. That yeah. You, that that was missing um, throughout your childhood. Childhood life. Yeah. Pretty much everything in general. Because uh, I know there was, I think it was somewhere around 30 and I got an argument with my dad and all I said to him was, all I wanted to hear one time in my life was somebody was proud of me. And then, do it. sorry, I gotta stop for a minute. Oh. I'm still gonna say it. I know. Like I'm when, proud of when you. When people yeah. say that they're yeah. proud of you. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, because you don't feel because it was missing before or because you don't feel like it fits or that you don't even want people to say that because uh, it was missing before yeah. and uh, my confidence was I was always low so I didn't I probably wouldn't have believed it if somebody told me it at yeah. that point and my colleague is going to laugh at this but I always always get he blames at me for self-deprecating humor which is basically picking on yourself Mm -hmm. and i'm a master of that so that's like another thing like when they took call me the golden child or the poster boy and all that other stuff they're like like a normal person would probably have a swollen head right now and you're just still sitting there like okay (laughs) but i'm slowly learning to uh believe that and I, I do have a hell of a lot more confidence because otherwise I would somebody if you would ask me this six months ago or even three months ago to sit here I know I had agreed to it but I saw I figured I would be doing it a year from now not 
mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have you back in on in six months to hear kind of your journey because it's yeah. it's fascinating to me. Um, yeah, when I first learned about this and learned about where you were at and heard you talk about your recovery plan, I knew that you were going to be successful because uh, I know who you are and um, how strong-willed you are. Um, and I think like sharing your journey, yeah. um, how helpful that is to you and to others to kind of hear where you're at and what you're struggling with and the ups and downs of that. And to know that it will sound differently today than it did three months ago than it will three months from now. It's probably one of the best moments I could say that I had so far. And like you could say, just the story of my strong will or whatever it was. uh, The judge that sentenced me, she retired at the uh, end of July. And one of the last times I got to speak to her while I was in jail, she said to me that... uh, she was just amazed at how much I've grown and that the entire time when I would meet with her every two weeks that my smile never went away. Mm. And, uh, she said I definitely treated this as an opportunity instead of a punishment. So then lucky, <laughs> lucky enough, the day before she retired, I got to uh, surprise her with a card and Tell her thank you for sending me to jail and all that other stuff that you wouldn't ever think somebody would do. Mm-hmm. But right. yeah, I got to give her balloons and we had a nice little conversation and she was very happy. And she told me that day that uh, the Department of Corrections wasn't very happy with her for allowing me to be a part of this program. They wanted me sent to prison. And uh, she said, this is my courtroom. I get to decide what I want to do. So I definitely have to thank her for changing my life mm-hmm. because as she said to me, she said, Kyle, I would have sent you to prison and you probably would have walked out and been the same person. Mm-hmm. And I said, you were probably definitely correct. I have a couple of thoughts rolling around in my brain. Um, one, this was your fifth OWI Six. Coming off of your, okay, coming off of your sixth. Um, so the question is, what, was it this program that shifted things for you? Or, like, why now? Uh, so I had so many in my youth and when we were in early 20s and I, I had the, the great idea and stupid thoughts in your head all oh, I just got bad luck. Mm. I just have bad luck. The, the, that was the thought. That was the thought okay. then. Yeah. And as I got older, it was, yeah, I have, I have a problem. And I, I knew I did. And mm-hmm. like I said to him, I was so unhappy and, mm-hmm. and this looked like a golden opportunity. And then when I got to meet with the counselor and, that man has changed my life for the better. And and, it, and it's so helpful to have somebody that you can have a normal conversation with, like some of the places that you go where it just seems like they're just there to have you sit on the couch and not really do anything. Like he's mm-hmm. been pushing me from day one and just, we have very similar personalities. One of my favorite things to say to him is we, 
he likes to say to me, well, where did that get? You know, I say right to your fucking couch. <laughs> <laughs> you have somebody that you can tell that cares about you. Yes. That you can relate yeah. to that, that, that you can tell yeah, yeah. every time you're with him, yeah. that he, he cares about you and that has your best interests at heart. Yeah. He, yeah. Had, he had his, yeah. he had his struggles in other areas of his life growing up. And, uh, he shared that with me and there's definitely a, a trust between each other. What was your experience with therapy prior to that? There wasn't hardly any. Yeah. There was the good old uh, AODA requirement that the DOT makes you do to get your driver's license back. And that was, it seemed like, oh, here, go to this person for six weeks. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter if you're good or not. All right, you did the minimum requirement. See you later. But, uh, they told me this program was 14 months by design because they want you to learn to live a sober life and right. do this and set yourself up for success, not bring you in and rush you out the door. Right. Yeah. Do you have more thoughts swirling? I want to talk a little bit about that 14-month program. Do um, but okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I don't want to get in the, the swirl of your thoughts. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Um, just describe, describe kind of the program. Maybe if we take a step back and just look yeah. at the, that 14 month program and, um, what's involved there, where you're at, what's next, um, from that sample. Um, there's five phases of the program. The first one is six months or not six months, 60 days. And then the next four after that are all 90 days that gets you to the 14 months. Uh, the first phase is just kind of setting you up for success and going on and developing uh, a plan for you and what your issues are and so on. And as, as you go on, they kind of expect you to have a setback or fail. Yeah. But it doesn't really hurt you until, say, a, a later phase. Like, say, if you failed in the beginning, I believe... I believe you need to be clean for 15 days before you can advance to the next phase. And then as from two to three, it's 30 days. And then three to four, it's 45. And then I believe the last phase you need to be clean or the last two phases you need to be sober the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I might not have that butchered a little bit, but I know it's close to that. Mm-hmm. But the basics of you meet with the uh, coordinator of the program once every two weeks and she helps with uh because we have to fill out what we did for the week and what appointments we had and what our goals for the week are for in the early stages they asked if you had any setbacks or what was if you had a bad thing for the week i should have brought one of those sheets but i didn't but it's just little things like that and then you go meet with her and you talk with her about it and then so because every two weeks you also meet with the judge because they want for so they can see your progress and they can ask you questions on how things are going for you and so on, whether it's like for me, one of my last times that I met with them, it was telling them that I was coming here. So he's asking what I was going to do. And I told him that we were a uh, good chance that we might be doing this. And as soon as I told him that, he said, uh, he said, Kyle, you need to share your story. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, everybody does. Mm-hmm. He's like, he said, everybody may have looked at you guys as like bad members of the community or whatever, but he said, now you're, you've changed your life around and you can do a lot of good for people. 
But then uh, going back more with the program, we'd meet with the judge. In the in the first two phases, you meet with the judge every other week, and then as basically as the phases go on, they give you a little more freedom. Where all of a sudden you're only doing things once a month or once a week. But like we have our group meetings on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, and you have to do that twice a month or twice a week for the first two phases, and after that, then you only have to do it uh, once a week. But still. I would probably say most of us still go twice a week just because mm -hmm. it's the eight of us that are in there. It's, yeah, it's, we're very supportive. We, only, right. yeah, yeah. we hold yeah. each other accountable. There's yeah. so many laughs. And I told them when I was in jail and I was going there, I said that was a good part of what kept me sane was that the smiles and the jokes and the laughs. And mm. I couldn't, I wouldn't change anything for the world. And then, uh, also, they, they help you develop a, a financial plan. Mm. They help. It's basically they try to help you set up any way possible. Like after I think I don't know what I want to say. It's phase three. They require you to uh, have a job or you're volunteering somewhere for putting in community service hours. But basically, they just want to slowly work your way back into society and get your right. everything set up so you can. The day that you get uh, graduate from the program, you're set up for success. You're not. All right. Good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go. Mm -hmm. And where are you at um, with the program? I think maybe you described some of that, um, but kind of where are you at and what's left? I just, uh, as of yesterday, I entered phase four. Oh, and then other things that we need to do in once you're in, uh, before you can graduate, you have to do a couple, you have to uh, facilitate your group and do a teaching. Mm, mm -hmm. You have to do two of those and... What are you going to teach? I already did one. Yeah, how'd it go? It actually went pretty well. I've usually been good at uh, controlling a room if I need to. And I did mine on compliments, which was something that I did never, I, I still don't like hearing. But I did it on compliments and the power of a compliment. Mm. I love that. I think so often I've heard so many um, presentations where people present on things that have been a struggle for them. So I, that's just my comment there. Like this is hard. Um, yeah, I've that, struggled that with I, it. Here's I what I learned. And here yeah. is how to... Here's how to how to overcome it, or here's how to, in your case, receive. Yeah. Receiving a compliment, I think, is very is akin to, a ability really to, to receive love, yeah. and if you haven't, um, if that hasn't been encouraged early on, yeah. it can be difficult I imagine yeah and, and along with me having the the low self-confidence too at the time so I was mm -hmm. somebody would say something to me I just like a lot of times I would just walk away like it's I hard to I, believe I, I didn't even hear it and right. yes the hard yeah. to believe or I yeah. just tried, tried to ignore it because uh when I taught that group I basically explained what my struggles were with them and why I picked compliments and then I showed a uh there's like eight little minute YouTube video of a, of a woman speaking and showing here's somebody's reaction and after they get a compliment versus 
uh, not, and then uh, sharing some studies mm -hmm. that workers are more productive if they get some compliments at work right. and stuff like that, and people are just more productive in general when they're in a better mood and better spirit. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and then after we did that, I uh, the activity afterwards was we all had a piece of paper in front of us with our name on it, and we just passed it around, and everybody had to write a compliment about each other. And then after that, and then everybody had to flip over their sheet at one at a time and then pick the one compliment that surprised them the most on their sheet. Mm -hmm. And uh, try and explain why you think that person said that about you. So what was one of the... Um, did you participate or yes. did you just... Okay, yep. so what was one of the surprising compliments that you received? <laughs> I wish I would have remembered most of them. But struggling with them, I probably kind of just shot it out the back. But I know a lot of the guys uh, put me down like as the leader of the group. Mm -hmm. And I, I know it seems like they like to look at me yeah, as the leader if there's something, well, Kyle will say it. Mm. But that's how you describe your personality type, right? Yeah. Kind of saying what's on your mind and not holding back any punches. Yeah, that's, yeah, I've been... I am not a sugarcoater. I, mm -hmm. I don't know how to sugarcoat. It's just <laughs> I've been called an ass a lot in my life because it's basically here it is if you like it or not. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if the truth hurts sometimes, but you're going to speak your truth. Yes, mm -hmm. that's it, right? Yes. Like this is this is how I this is how I feel, and this is what I'm going to yeah. say about how I feel. Yeah, this is it, or like here, here's the facts of this is how we got here. Mm. I don't mm. know what more you want me to tell you, mm. but. Yeah, because there's that, and then, uh, and like, another perfect example, of, I know we have a, in our building that we have counseling in, they have a, a meeting every three months for the, I think it's the National Association for Mental Health or something, it's NAMI, I can't remember what the I stands for, and uh, I didn't even get uh, nominated, I got told that I was going to be on the board. Mm-hmm to uh, speak at that so what is it and when is it it's a conference that they put on or is it it's just a little meeting that they have in the uh, it's NAMI it's N yeah National Alliance on Mental Illness yeah yeah and, uh, and that's just like there will be people like I know there's a guy that's gonna be a peer support specialist I believe her coordinator is supposed to be a part of it and then there was another person and then they just wanted me to be the person to share his story yeah mm -hmm. That's coming up. That will be on, I think it's October 19th. Open to the public? I might, yes. I might show up. Yes, it's open yep. to the public. All right. In the FCC building in Baroqua. I do like Baroqua. Mm. It's on the calendar, dude. Uh, do you want to talk about Amherst, Wisconsin a little bit? Talk about growing up. Talk about your guys' friendship and the um, meaning and importance and impact of that. It's a big question, Jess. Yeah, well. Well, what are we here for? <laughs> well, I, 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 can, I can say it started in uh, Susan's preschool. We've been friends for life, dude. Uh, yeah. In Susan's preschool when we were little kids. Susan being Eden's mom. And then, yeah, kindergarten and pretty much growing up, we've 
pretty much did a lot of things together. It's a small town, small little village too, mm-hmm. so everybody knows everybody. Yeah. You hang out with your friends every day. Yeah. That's because yeah. that's what you do, I think. Yeah. And so your mom had like a little had a preschool? Daycare, Day- child oh, care. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, we lived close so to all... the school and Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because his mom's place is about halfway to the school for me, but that's still... <laughs> in our little town, it was about a five-minute bike ride to school, and Eden was okay. about halfway there. Yeah. And that was the other thing that would be great about that little community, is you could pretty much be at any of your friend's house on whatever side of town you were, and you could be home on your bike in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you're, you con- so you connected, was it just, again, like small-town proximity, or... Like, how did you become friends? And this goes into, like, the support, right, that um, I know you have written letters back and forth and that. So talk about yeah. maybe that a little bit. I was going to say, yeah, when we're three or four, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to. So it was, just like I it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was always there almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, okay. it was, we were, were fast friends. Yeah, and yeah. I met him through my mom's child care along with other friends there. Yeah. And sure. we established a relationship there yeah. um, and then continued it throughout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're part of the group that hung out together. Right. Yeah, we did a lot of sports. We did a lot of other things that we cannot legally talk about <laughs> throughout our high school days. And uh, that's you say something like that, and just that's the only place that just. I know. A lot of people probably do, but yeah, we. Uh, I mean, it wasn't that bad, right? No. Yeah. No, it was teenagers being stupid, pretty much. But <laughs> we're not going to incriminate ourselves. But I think that has something to do with culture stuff, and I think that has something to do with small town stuff, and I mm-hmm. think that has something to do mm-hmm. with um, how we used and abused alcohol at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, so when I was in high school, it was easily available. I had a brother that was 21. I worked at a mm-hmm. gas station mm-hmm. where all you have to do is pretend to sell it to yourself and set it out the back door. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the plus in that small community, everybody knows each other, so it wasn't hard to, hey, here's $20, or here's, well, back then it was probably, here's $10, but mm-hmm. can you go get us a case of beer and, yeah, do that, and then, as we, yeah, did that, and then Eden went off to Oshkosh, and we, I continued to go visit him over there, and it's just slowly things as we grew up, and then I'd say probably, as my addiction got worse, I kind of, secluded myself from everybody as things went on and it was the small little mm-hmm. comments here and there and yeah it was a surprise to me that you i was surprised to hear not from you that you had gotten your last one and that you were um facing prison time for it yeah. um, because because i think you pulled back because you weren't talking to anybody about it no because you and, and i was already pulling back from everybody yeah. before that yeah and uh then he had reached out to me and asked how things were going and so on. And then it slowly the rela- relationship is going back to where it was. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah, there were some people in Amherst that when I went back said, um, we haven't heard from Kyle, reach out to Kyle. He, like asking me if I had heard from you. Um, so there were people in Amherst and our people in Amherst that, that are your people um, that were worried and concerned about you. Um, and that was my 
my uh, hey reach out to Kyle see where he's at because I hadn't heard from you in a while yeah that was uh I don't want to say it was a dark time because I didn't think that I was going to do anything drastic or anything but it was just I secluded myself and I just wanted to get things to move on and the legal process was so slow yep and uh it was just it was just weighing on me and I didn't I really didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk with anybody. I just wanted to pretty much hide and and once uh once I could say I got convicted and all that other stuff, it seemed like everything was finally like finally it's over now I can start the next chapter of my yeah. life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question about friendship? What was your question about friendship? What was my question? Um, Does yeah, because, it, yeah, because I, yeah, yeah, if you're, if you are spending time that young, obviously mm. there's not like a, yeah. Um, yeah, I think growing up in a small community, you have a lot of people who you're close to. Sure. It's a small community and you're close to everybody there. Mm -hmm. Uh, if that makes yeah. sense. I, I have, um, yeah, people that I grew up with that you go through high school with that you're with every day mm -hmm. and you're in the same all of the same classes you're not I mean, it's right yeah you yeah. get to know them and they're your people even you don't even get to choose whether or not they're your people yeah mm -hmm. if that makes sense that's that's your group of friends that yeah that you go through life at least that was yeah that was at least how I would describe our scenario in a small town yeah and we had a class of 70 and yes there was still a couple little clicks but it was still we all knew each other we all got along with each other it was mm -hmm. there wasn't uh say if you go to a bigger school like say here in mm -hmm. Nina or in the yeah. Fox Valley where I don't know what even the enrollment is here mm -hmm. But yeah, when you could go probably walking down the hall and it's probably like a college atmosphere and oh, who the hell is that guy and just keep walking past him. Right. Versus us, it was, oh, there's my brother, there's all his friends, I don't want to walk down that hallway, which, which was the case for me. But mm -hmm. And I also had a couple of older cousins that were younger than my brother, so yeah, when I was a freshman, it was like <laughs> playing Frogger, I was hopping down the hallway, which way I wanted to avoid so I wouldn't get shoved in a locker slammed or somebody picked on and being that small town and everybody knew everybody's family and friends and mm -hmm. like our high school principal was actually my mom and dad's math teacher so it's just little stuff like that where right and then for the past god i would say at least 10 plus years the bowling team that i was on on wednesday nights was with uh one of my uh or what was my egg teacher and one of my uh, childhood friends' fathers and uh, one of my people that my mom went to high school with. Mm. And then along with uh, a friend of mine that's younger than mine, but he had worked with my dad forever. It's just everything in that community is, everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. And you talked about a little bit about leaving that place or uh, finding distance from that place as being important to your recovery or your journey. Um, not, not leaving it and never coming back, yeah. but leaving it and finding a new life or building a new life. Yeah. I, uh, I don't want to say it was holding me back, but it, it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, a good friend of mine, when I talked to him, I forget released. He said, he said, Amherst is a 
great place to visit, a better place to leave. Yeah. And uh, it took me a long time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I told the judge and the counselor and all the other stuff. I said, I think the be- one of the best things that helped me be successful was getting a- away from mm-hmm. everybody and everything. Isn't that, like you said, in that small community and there's, what is it? There's four taverns on Main Street, mm. and there's not a whole lot else than that, and there's not a whole lot of anything to do there, mm-hmm. and so many people drink, and that seems like to be the social thing to do around there. Do you think that's what it is sometimes in, um, particularly, particularly in Wisconsin, particularly in smaller rural areas? that there's just a lack of, maybe even a lack of desire to build or create other things in those areas for people to do that don't include drinking. Because I, I know um, I myself have a DUI and um, went through a class at um, the tech um, because I had to, to, you know, no. do the whole thing. Um, and one of the things that um, we talked about in that class was the challenge of the culture of this particular area, right, where so many events are around drinking, so many no. events, right? Just look at Oktoberfest, for example. Yeah. Right? Like, you're you're almost encouraged, even though they say, you know, drink, drink responsibly, or drink responsibly, um, you're almost encouraged to drink and drive. Oh, definitely. And Eden can vouch for this. This could even be less than five years ago for him. And for me, it was less than a year ago. It didn't, so many events, it seemed like it didn't matter what it was. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can include beer into that, or we can get a mixed drink into that, or we can... Unless it was in a school, I think it was pretty much anything. It was, here you go, here you go, here you go. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes part of the social fabric. I think it is part of the social fabric. It is, um, people rely on it to be there. And I think it also is connected to um, I, the Dudes and Tacos initiative that I'm working on, working mm-hmm. with, is right. um, related to mental health and, and um, specific for men. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we talked about was having alcohol there and not, mm-hmm. and, and how prevalent alcohol is in kind of social settings mm-hmm. uh, in this area. So how do you have, how do you have fun without it? Mm-hmm. What are the ways in which you can have fun without it? Right. How can you have meaningful conversation and it not be centered around that? Right. Um, so I think about it a lot. I think, yes, it's embedded in the social fabric. Yes, it's a problem in Northeast Wisconsin. Um, is it holding people back? I don't know. Uh, holding people back from doing things, I think, was your question. Well, like, is there a lack it, of other stuff to do, it, or is it yeah, a mindset? It, is there right? Like, in these areas, you you create your communities, yeah. right? So you could create a community around things that might be a might be healthier <laughs> yes um, or you could create your culture around the status quo which is 
drinking in this area. Um, so that's kind of maybe asking your thoughts on that and if that plays into that sort of desire to leave or or um, distance yourself from Amherst um, and maybe others who distance themselves from areas like that that don't really have um, I think that's the status quo in these small villages, in these small towns. That's yes. the status quo, and it's hard to change. Yeah, right. it, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter if it's up north or in snowmobile season, yeah. and everybody goes up there drinking on their snowmobile, or if you're just in a small town and there's nothing to do. There's, well, there's things to do, but it isn't much. And like you said, you mm-hmm. get alcohol involved and everything so easily. Whether it could be a little kid's birthday party to somebody's funeral mm-hmm. to freaking a softball tournament or golf outing or right. Yeah. Or a bowling league that I was a part of, and we started that when we were 20, and that was just an excuse to go out. And drink. Pretty yeah. much. So how do you, how do you shift that? Mm-hmm. How are you shifting mm-hmm. that mindset just for yourself? Uh, and maybe even bringing that being an example for others of how you can, right? Because when we, when we think even, even just the word party, when people think, I'm going to go out and party, Mm-hmm. It's automatically assumed that that's with alcohol. Yeah. So how do we shift that mindset of, well, party doesn't have to include that? Um, well, I can just say with my experience, what I'm trying to do as I'm reintroducing myself to the world. Uh, and I spoke with my counselor. It's like certain things you just need to eliminate from your life. Because mm-hmm. uh, like something, like I just say, like with myself, if I walked into a bowling alley right now, I don't, I don't know if I would be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Just because it was, it was a place to go drink. Right. Yes, I liked the bowl, and yes, it was uh, something that I really enjoyed. But the main reason that we started doing it was because of drinking, and it never really stopped. Mm-hmm. When you have a beer frame, or you have this or that, and then, but something that I've been doing a lot more recently is golfing and that was something yes alcohol was a part of it but i that was something that i did in my youth when there wasn't alcohol present and Mm -hmm. i didn't know any better and it's more starting to and the counselor that was one thing he said he's like try and find things that you did back when you were a child before Mm -hmm. you were drinking and start your activities from there so you have something and then you can start to grow and expand Mm -hmm. Instead of going back to something that you know mm-hmm. would be a troublesome environment. So for a time, distancing yourself from those triggers, and then maybe eventually as you as you create that habit and those routines around um, healthy activities, maybe eventually you'll be yeah. able to go to a bowling yeah. alley again. Yeah, because... I, I think I probably could, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to participate right, in a, yeah. participate in the league yet. Yeah, yeah. But because I could, I can honestly say one of the first times after I got out, I went to the a local bar just to get a pizza to go. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think, there's like one other person in there, and I was only in there for like ten minutes. And it just like so many things were like rushing back at me, and I was like, oh my god, there's beer, there's this, there's mm-hmm. that, and I was just like, holy cow. Yeah. And. Uh, I was very, <laughs> very happy when that pizza came out. I got the hell, yeah. got to get out of Relief, there. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
you've talked about biking and you've talked about white walking and just kind of physical activities that you can do that are healthy and there's not there's not alcohol involved in that you know what i mean like finding yeah. a routine of things yeah. that you can do um yeah and then i also find that the biking and the walking is very good uh good time to clear my head yeah because mm -hmm. especially after you're on the bike or whatever just walking you don't have anybody around you or stressing you or you just get you got that mm -hmm. whether it be five minutes or two hours or however far you go to process things and that was another thing that i've i've learned in treatment was uh making sure you set some time uh aside for some self-care to Mm. reflect and mm. don't bottle things up mm. and that's huge man i've been on a self-care journey and just figuring out what that means um and some of that is yeah uh, a healthy outlet to process mm. thoughts and feelings and emotions without um whatever that that drug of choice is yeah uh, kind of clouding and suppressing some of those feelings because uh, like before in the last couple of years and things are getting bad I've, uh, I was. I usually had a beer on the way home before I was even home, mm -hmm. if not more than one. And then I would get home, and then I would just start, just drink the day away or evening away, and then pretty much start the day all over again. But like now, I could say uh, there's a lot of times where I just I'm just I catch myself just sitting, laying on the couch, either listening to the noises outside outside the window mm -hmm. with a nicer weather that we've had and uh, the other thing that I've uh, picked up on is just a little self-help podcast or whatever just a mm -hmm. quick little li listen to remind yourself to do certain things um, I've tried to become a better chef but, mm. <laughs> but how's that working sometimes I surprise myself sometimes I don't yeah. <laughs> Uh, you have a grill on the patio. But it's a fun. Uh, that's yeah. a fun yeah. creative creative outlet. Um, cooking. Jess has a cooking show too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, show is a loose way to. <laughs> yeah. Comedy hour. <laughs> uh, there's slaughter. Yeah, there, with right? my yeah. yeah friend of mine. Um, so I, I enjoy wine, and so I have a show called <laughs> Jessica's Wine Kitchen with Chuck. Me and my friend Chuck make dinner, usually Monday evenings after I teach yoga, and he usually joins me for class. So afterwards, we'll cook some dinner, and and uh, I'll throw it up on Facebook Live, just like a kind <laughs> of a fun, fun little thing, yeah. You have thoughts on like what you want people to know about your journey or how they can support you? People that are watching this that care about you. Um, what does support look like? Mm. Um, maybe even just awareness of, of what you're going through and your story and your journey. Have you given thought to that, Kyle? Um, just for support, it, it, it doesn't take a whole lot. I know... Uh... Not a lot of people had seen me in a while, and I threw up the, the picture of myself on Facebook with probably the first true smile that I had for maybe forever. Yeah. Because that was always uh, a defense mechanism for me was my smile. 
that way I could hide everything and it just looked like, oh, he's doing great. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had several people reach out to me asking me how I was doing and just little stuff like that. And there was a couple of people that I hadn't spoke to in years. And that meant a lot. And and just like with the uh, being in the new community and the correctional officers in the jail, they've been very supportive and they've they said now that I work there and I still have to go there for the UAs, they're always asking me how things are going and mm -hmm. so on. And before, I think my one of my whole goals of the day was to pray to God that nobody would ask me how my day was going because I didn't know how to express it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would try to put up, and uh, the counselor says I'm a control freak because I would try to control everything in my life mm -hmm. to try and make it look like it was perfect so nobody would ask me how things are going. Right. And now when people ask me, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's great that I know how to do it and tell mm -hmm. them and be transparent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing is being open and being transparent with everybody. And mm -hmm. so I can tell you, it still makes me cringe. And like, like I, told, I told Eaton yesterday because I got to see my nieces for the first time on Thursday. And I got to explain to them everything. And I was in tears and I was kind of having a little emotional moment on friday morning and i told him i said i am nervous as hell mm -hmm. to do this i said i said i said we might have to take a couple of moments because i'll probably be in tears for a lot of it for the most part i've kind of <laughs> fought through them but mm -hmm. just uh, i've and for as for doing this i just if anybody does watch it now they're actually going to see the real me not the person i let everybody perceived or let them believe who i was yeah, and describe that person. Who who are you? Who are you recognizing is the real you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Difficult question. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's something maybe that you're still wrestling with. I, that you're still I, feeling. I, I, right? I know like, I am yeah. still wrestling with yeah. because, like you said, about the counselor and calling me the golden child and the judge and everybody calling me the poster boy. I I still. I don't feel that I'm that person yet. Is there... Um, you still... Go ahead, Jess, sorry. Is there... some pressure associated with those titles? Honestly, honestly, to me, I like to say there is as a joke to the counselor. I'm like, sure. oh, it's not easy being the golden child. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of weight that you're putting on my shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but, a, it's a lot to carry. But no, I, th I think this has been easier than the weight that I've carried being somebody else mm -hmm. for the past mm -hmm. however long. Yeah. And it feels like you. It feels yeah. like you authentically doing the work. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's describing myself. I'm because people saw bits and pieces of me, they still know that I was caring and loving and sense of humor and all that other stuff. But it's just now that it's now that they can see the dark side and the the trials and tribulations, or however you want to say it, that I've mm -hmm. gone through and I've battled through, and I will continue to battle through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and as we had talked and the judge and the counselor and everybody wanted me to do this. And they're just like, Kyle, if you save yourself, you could save a thousand more. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if I save one person and they, that person saves another person and so on, I could go a long ways. Yeah. Right. 
so that's probably the biggest reason why I'm doing this. Hmm. Going back to the autobiography that you wrote mm. and the stories and sharing those stories, what are some of the stories that came up that were most surprising to you? I know when I write um, and I journal pretty often, I'll move from sometimes, especially if I'm in a like a little mm. bit more challenging place mentally, emotionally, I'll move from this sort of heaviness and then suddenly becoming lighter and lighter and lighter or a shift in perspective or just seeing things differently or sudden epiphany arrives as I'm writing. Um, so I'm curious to know if what that looks like for you or what that looked like for you as you're penning those stories. Uh, I, I could see how it went because we can start like when I d did that thing with the whiteboard with the, the guys in the group and everything. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I was felt so horrible and the counselor was sitting there. He's like, Kyle, you need to be proud of your story. That is your mm -hmm. story. It's not anybody else's. And, as I started writing, writing it, he can say, he basically said to me, he said, you can see that slowly in the progression, you started getting proud of yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was probably another big therapeutic thing for me because it was just so many things that I had pent up and I really never said to anybody, not even my parents. Mm -hmm. It was just the things that I bottled up and I put them all in the, put them on a piece of paper and there it was and, the sad thing is I got to uh, about, about age 30 and I gave up. I, was, I don't want to say that I gave up, but I kind of just turned it into while I was drunk for the last 10 years of my life. Mm -hmm. But there was so, yeah, so many moments just growing up and I did it for doing that. And I was just, it definitely, I became proud of myself when I wrote that. So was there a story that stands out to you from that, either that, either a story that kind of moved you toward that. So <laughs> try to think of how to put this stories, a story that was like, Oh, this is why I've struggled with this. Certainly your experience with your dad. Um, and maybe a story that shows you, how you are able to, or how you are able to start overcoming that? Um, I think a lot of it was uh, becoming proud of myself would be, let's say the stories of our youth, and I was writing about all the things that I did as a kid, and we were like our little, little league games and so mm -hmm. on, and mm -hmm. golf, and Eden can vouch that I was, I was a very good student, and I had the opportunity to go to Oklahoma State University, I scored very high on my ACTs, but I didn't go probably because I didn't have the confidence to go. Mm -hmm. And that's probably possibly one of the, my biggest regrets in life is where if I would have did that 22 years ago, where would I have been? You were accepted and ready to go. Yeah. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I... You just decided not I, to. I backed out towards 
towards the very end and I've used the excuse that I didn't want to come out in a hundred thousand dollars in debt mm. but that's probably just an excuse right. and it's more that uh I didn't have the confidence to go and even if I would have went because I didn't know how to express or do anything I said good chance that I probably would just drank myself out of college mm. if something bad would have happened down there who knows uh, and you found a meaningful career after that. Yes. Right. You can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I uh, shortly after that, I got uh, hired by my cousin right out of high school, and he was starting his Lancer brand company. And I did that for twelve years, and it was good in the beginning. And towards the end, it got a little rough working for family. Things don't always uh, work out the best, and that mm -hmm. was also part of the thing of being overlooked came into play as mm -hmm. in my late 20s because I kind of felt like he knew that I was always going to be there and I was reliable and I wasn't giving opportunities. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and so, so sorry, I... Did you so, say landscaping? Land surveying. Land surveying. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah, land surveying. And then uh, I kind of got to the point where I was not happy there. Everybody could see it. Um, and... Yeah, things things are going sour, mm -hmm. and uh, while I was there, I've always been good at building relationships with uh, people. And then while I was doing that, I got or I was worked or we did a lot of work for a road construction company, and we were always subcontracted through them. And I developed a lot of relationships with their foremen and superintendents, mm -hmm. and the owner themselves. And then when I was uh, 30 i gave them a phone call and said i would like to come aboard and we had talked about it several times before that and they're like well whenever you're ready and i don't know if i surprised them or not but i kind of sent an email and then they called me he's like are you serious are you serious and i said yeah and i talked to the, the owner's son at the time and he said okay i'll talk with my dad and a couple of the other higher-ups that were in there and that was in january so Obviously, they were all in the office and out built in the road somewhere. Mm -hmm. And within, it couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 minutes, he called me back. He said, okay, you have a job. You're not going to start work till April or whenever the ground thaws out. And then uh, I got to work there. And I got to work with the, the dad, the owner, for quite a bit. And he picked up real fast that I was, as he would say, a very sharp individual and he could see that because he would give me a list of tasks that he wanted me to do every day and I wasn't in charge of a crew or anything. I was just kind of his helper and I'd lay out things and so on and I would get them done and I'd come with answers with him for him when he didn't wasn't expecting me to get an answer for him. And, and he said, then they basically said to me the next year, well, you're going to become a foreman. <laughs> I said, I'm like, what? But... And then I had a lot of great individuals that helped me through that, some older operators of the running the backhoes and bulldozers and so on. Um, I was very open and receptive to asking them advice mm -hmm. where I could get better. Right. I didn't come in there with a big head and look at me. I'm some young, dumb punk kid, which they probably all thought I was going to be because they're in their late 50s and here yeah. I am at yeah. 31 and they're yeah. doing this. And I, I gained a lot of people's respect and so on and... Mm -hmm. Got to do that for a long time, and then with this last instance, we uh, we had to part ways for a little while, 
and we've talked, and I worked with them until I had to leave last fall. And then I got to talk to them, I think it was about a month ago, and I told them everything that I was doing with this program and so on. And they basically said to me, Kyle, we're proud of you and everything that's going on and so on, and your job's waiting for you once you're done with this program. Mm. Which that's was, awesome. Which was yeah. a great feeling because I, I really like doing that career. It's great going when you can say, here I am starting out in the middle of a field somewhere and I can turn this into a interstate or whatever else we might be building. Mm -hmm. Trying to think where else we want to go. Other places you want to go, Kyle? I don't know. Um, I gotta think. Yeah. Oh, you're doing a great job sharing your stuff. It's hard. Oh, once it gets going, it's fine. Yeah, this is all the stuff that, that is important to talk about, too, and we're doing it. I just knew it was once we got started, I just need to get it flowing and going. It was, mm -hmm. but that way, I'm that's probably one thing that I've always been guilty of is living inside my head. Mm. Uh, preach, because I think uh, Jess and I have had some conversations about that. I think we're both guilty of living inside our heads. I'll speak for myself on that one. I live inside my head a lot, too. Yeah, because that was most of it this morning. and oh, I was thinking about this last night and this morning. I know, so yeah. was I. I was thinking, like, mm. oh, God, I'm like, how do I word this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And mm -hmm. all that. And I'd say we can talk about because the things with my in my youth with my parents and the alcoholism and the being overlooked and that's where I developed uh, perfectionist traits. Mm, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's because I because I wanted to be noticed. Yeah. That, that was how I thought I was going to get love as I was going to be perfect and that's <laughs> why I was almost a four student and that's why I was doing this and I tried to be my the best person and it, it didn't matter to seem like. I was fighting a battle with myself, and then it just it's continued on my whole life. And yeah, do you still feel some of that? Yes. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And uh, and that's actually something I'm working on with the counselor right now. And he uh, he said we need to turn you from a perfectionist into a high achiever. Mm. Hmm. Oh, and even the mindset stuff that goes along with that, even what that means and what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah, because. Uh, I actually talked to it was with the acronym SMART versus with the high achiever and a perfectionist. No, I gotta try to remember yeah, exactly what it's Yeah, like. I, I know I've seen that before and I'm I so like smart remember. goals? No. Is no, because S is S is specific. M is measurable. Is yeah, that, M is I measurable. That framework. Yeah, yeah. M is measurable. Uh, A is attainable. R is realistic. I forget what the hell T is. I think it's time, something with timely, right? Time bound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah timely. And so that's a framework you're using? Uh, in... To work on myself. We yeah. actually just started that because like with the uh, the specific, it's more like you need to, as you're a high achiever, you follow and you work as a group as, to follow a specific plan versus a perfectionist who has to do it their way. Yeah. It is my way. That is the only way we're getting it done. Mm-hmm. 
And like when something goes off track or goes wrong, then oh. it's not like, okay, well, I'm out of here. Like yeah. This, it's not it, perfect anymore. Yeah. Right? Like this, yeah. 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 And the perfectionist sets unreal goals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am very guilty of that where I think I can do it, I can do it, and I can do it. And I'll keep doing it until I can't. And it might take it might take me weeks to get to that point where a normal person might just you may get into that. Give us a for example of something that you're working on, either through the perfectionist framework or through now through the smart framework. Uh, well, I just literally started that, so I haven't got a whole lot of work at it because yeah. I, I I literally just learned that on Tuesday. And uh, but like there's I'm. As the counselor said, you're not a perfect perfectionist because you're part of an achiever. Because mm. he said you're, you're realistic because you can see certain things yeah. that, that that's just not attainable and you can accept that versus like certain things. And I, can, I can't give you an example off the top of my head, but just a uh, high achiever can see it, it's real, it can happen while the perfectionist, it has to happen, and if it doesn't happen, it's somebody else's fault. Or there's, they're starting to find blame in something and they're looking for, mm. looking for an excuse, oh, it's his fault because we didn't do it my way. Or Yeah, the, the control, I think, is yes. what you were describing. Mm. You yes. have to be in control of everything mm. and yes. comfortable there, and it's only perfect if, I'm, if I can control every step of yeah. the journey and letting go of some of that. Yeah, and, and that's something I'm still... <laughs> working on yeah working, i think same too working on yeah, control yeah. for yeah. damn near since day one since i learned my emotions after that we started working on control and i'm still mm-hmm. it's something i might always fight myself with. It, and that's the emotional regulation stuff that you were yeah. describing yeah yeah and there's um uh perfectionism often is a result of trauma it's trauma response yeah. right um that and I think a lot of people think that perfectionism is a good thing and it's not it might be good for some people mm-hmm. but it hasn't really helped me at all yes it's got me to be very driven and achieve probably more than I ever would have but mm-hmm. at what cost mm-hmm. right. well and even as humans we're not designed to be perfect no not at all perfectly imperfect as human yeah. beings yeah Um, I was going to ask you about something. Oh, we talked a little bit. I don't remember if it was in the car ride over or when we first started just around like people being ready for you to be your real self or people being able Mm. to catch when you, when you're emotional or feeling emotions, uh, people that knew you before you've made this are not ready for it. Or or not prepared for it or can't hold it or all like, can you describe that, that piece a little bit? Um, yeah, like a perfect example was the first time that I went home back in June. Um, because like I said, I learned to talk about things and so on. And I literally, through the three days that I was back, I had said to my parents, I said, is there anything you'd like to talk about? Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Like, can we talk about this? And they were very withdrawn because they didn't they didn't recognize the person that I was yeah because they were so used to me being so distant yeah and literally like right before I left the one of the last things my mom said to me was Kyle I, I don't think we know who you are anymore yeah 
and uh, you're a new person to us. We still know that you're your son and we still love you and all that other stuff. But it was just, I think they were very in awe and shock. And yep. I have a feeling that's probably what some of these people that are going to watch this are going to be like, but. And that's okay, right? Like I think yeah. that you're, you're now ready. You're on your journey to have deeper conversations or explore emotions or explore past and they might not be ready for it yet, right? Like, yeah. Or, 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 yeah, they have to accept where you're at and then be ready to, to hold and to catch and to have conversation in that space. Yes. Yes, definitely, because I've set up, uh, like, <laughs> when I'm home on, or when I'm going home on Sunday, and I see a lot of people, some might act like nothing's ever happened, some might be scared to talk to me, yeah, some it doesn't matter. And like one of the questions I know that I'm going to get asked is somebody's going to be like, oh, is it okay if I have a beer in front of you or yeah. whatever? And I'm like, yeah. I really don't care. So that's your choice. I said, I'm like, the only thing that I will not want is to somebody to, here you go. You want mm -hmm. this? You want this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm not asking anybody to change their life for me. Right. They can still live their life. It says, I've figured out what my mine is now and I figured out what my path is and it's taken me 40 years to get to this point but mm -hmm. I can say that I'm happy about it yeah some people never get there mm -hmm. yeah. most people don't get there yeah. I mean right like yeah. so 40 might seem like a long time mm -hmm. to you to yeah. get there uh, I think other people and the majority of people would look at wow uh, he's found it he's got a path forward and he's yeah. got 40 years 40 plus years to live that life yeah, because that, that was the one of the things that I've said to both judges was, uh, I said, I've made such a mess in the last 20 years of my life. I said, I'm definitely not doing that with the next 20. Because, uh, yeah, there was times that I know I said, and we joked about this as we were going up, growing up, and I was sitting there like, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it to 25. Oh, I made it to 30. I'm like, like holy shit, I made it to 40. Just with the stupidity of the drinking and the other dumb things that we did growing up. And, uh, like, I know certain friends have developed uh, diseases or whatever from their drinking. And somehow, luckily, I haven't. And, uh, yeah, I can sit here and say that I really haven't had any major flaws. And maybe they'll show up five or ten years from now. But I, I could say I'm in good health. I'm very happy. I'm very lucky. Mm -hmm. So lucky on so many things that I've mm -hmm. done. Like I said, I could have killed somebody. I could have killed myself. I could have killed <laughs> anything. Do you have regrets? Are you wrestling with some regrets? We had a, a, a podcast and a good conversation on the power of regret. Uh, like looking back on things that we did talking about them, processing them. I think, I think some of that just came out in what you were describing, but I can't say I've had a lot of regrets. The biggest one for me was not going to college mm -hmm. that, cause that, that, that was a life changing opportunity and mm -hmm. I decided to be scared and not do it. Other than that, I, I can't say that I have an extreme amount of regret because it was my life. Those are the decisions that I was making. 
and I'm owning them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I made mistakes. I made several of them along the way, and I always tried to take them on the chin or accept them, and I didn't try to be a bad person about it. It was just, have I have I lived the right life? That's for somebody else to judge, I said. But mm-hmm. we all find our path, and I, tr- I definitely chose the hard one. And uh, it wasn't a straight road. It was a blurry road, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But... I could say I'm, it's finally clear because this is probably the longest I've been sober since I've been 16. Yeah. How long have you been sober? Um, since my 40th birthday. It's almost that a year. Was... That was in right after Christmas, December 29th. Okay. Coming up on a year. Yeah, because yeah. it, it'll be nine months next week. It's like, yeah, I can easily say I've never, since we started, or since I started when I was freshman in high school, yeah, there was a couple of bouts where it might have been a month or two months or three months here and there, but it was never, and that wasn't even, I wouldn't even say becoming sober, that was just, I was choosing not to drink. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, I probably, with the counselor, he doesn't like using the word sober for not drinking, he believes that sober is when you become clear-minded. Mm. And uh, so if you'd say that, then I'd probably say I didn't become clear-minded probably until about five months ago. Mm. What does that mean? Clear-minded to me is I know what to focus on. I know my path now. Mm. I know what I'm mm-hmm. supposed to do. Yeah. I know how to, I, I know how to make right decisions. Yeah. Might, might not be right for the somebody else, but they're right for me. Right. Uh, and even feeling some of these feelings, right? The, the feeling and emotion that goes along with being clear-minded? Yes. Yeah, and like, I still grab this when I sit with him at times. When he get, <laughs> sometimes he gets crabby. I mean, he's, you know what you're feeling. You don't need that wheel. But that's, that's my security blanket I almost want to see now. Mm-hmm. and it's been very helpful and even like say if I am confused on how I'm feeling it's nice to to have vocabulary to yeah, help to, to look well, at it and see it to yeah. be okay to say I'm confused on how I'm feeling yeah. mm-hmm. right like I don't have a, I'm not sure what I'm feeling yeah, I, yeah mm-hmm. to have help describing what you're feeling or to, to wrestle with what you're feeling um self-awareness is challenging change is challenging what would you say to people that may be struggling with even just that first step of looking at themselves and how how did you come to that place of hey it's act, it's really important for me not to hide but to to mm. be honest right first with maybe first with yourself yeah. and then with um, I, I know as myself as a alcoholic or addict or however you want to label me and talking with those other guys that are in my group and the change is probably the hardest and scariest thing that mm-hmm. you, because you want your routine, you want, so nothing is ever different and it's just, 
change has probably been the scariest thing. And once you get past that, and because like the the change of leaving my the safety net of my hometown and and all that other stuff, it's it just I had to uh, jump into the deep end of the pool mm-hmm. to be successful. Because if I would have just say dipped my toe, I probably would have freaking ran and said the water was cold. But yeah, sometimes you do have to just dive right in, plug your nose, and go for the best. And then the moving from hiding to transparency piece. How do you continue to do that? Why? And how would you... um, guide others or what what would you say to help other people to start letting themselves be more transparent uh, what well, is that well, <laughs> what is it well, tra- transparent is just being truthful to yourself to me and to everybody and yeah. like you're not there's you're not creating a fog to try and hide something mm-hmm. where you're just being true to yourself because like you said before i had such a freaking smoke screen or wall or whatever in front of me so nobody could see the mess that i had behind it mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable you have to uh i just want to say power through it and once once that smoke clears that uh, yeah the weight of the world is so it's so heavy to carry mm-hmm. and now that it's gone i i, I feel like a completely different person. And uh, like I said, that's where I think, like I said, with that Facebook photo with all of a sudden, it was about <laughs> me actually smiling and not being uh, fake and like the smile that everybody's seeing on here, this is my true smile. Mm-hmm. It's not the, uh, not the guy that would just sit there and hide and smile and not say anything. Right. And, uh, and before with a lot of my answers, well, I had the smoke screen up, they were very short in general. Mm-hmm. Where that way I was kind of giving a quick, blunt, direct answer. Right. So nobody could ask me another question. Mm-hmm. And like now it's uh, I, what I've learned. <laughs> I'm very good at rambling. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was another thing that I laughed about with the uh, coordinator. Like I said, when we meet with the judge... <laughs> Every two weeks, both of them have said to her, well, we're not worried about talking about Kyle. He likes to, he can just start, he can carry the conversation by himself. Which was somebody that I was not before. I yeah. was, no, it was just like, how, was, how are things going up? Oh, work and sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, make something up just so nobody would ask. Mm-hmm. What are the things in this new lifestyle that bring you happiness and joy? Well, like basic things is like obviously the slow process of rebuilding friendships mm-hmm. and uh, realizing that there's that many people out there that care for you. And uh, obviously starting to do a few things. And uh, my friend uh, and partner Angie, she's been uh, my biggest supporter through this whole thing. And... Uh, so I would talk to her when I was in jail. I talked to her every week. She comes and visits me now every other week, and that's part of the reason why I'm 
the Fox Valley this weekend is because I get to see her and her dog and her two cats. Leave in uh Sorry. Ah, they've been uh, my biggest support. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be here probably. Without her. Shout out to Angie. Yeah. And her silly dog who, uh, for, for some reasons, he only does things, certain things for me. Yeah. And, uh, cause when, uh, before I left Amherst, my dog was, Going through cancer, and uh, he was a puppy, and they they'd have puppy dates. So that's kind of how we started rebuilding our relationship together. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, like on Thursday. I got to uh, see my nieces. I got to explain to them everything. And How old are they? One's a senior. Yep. One is a sophomore about to turn 16. The yep. other one just turned 18. And then uh, my older nephew was 23 when I saw him last time. And the biggest thing that... So I saw my nieces at the school on Thursday night, and I gave them a big hug, and I told them that I loved them, and I would make sure that I was telling them that I'm proud of them. As soon as I did that, I'm like, out the door, because I was about ready to start bawling in the yeah. middle of the gymnasium. Yeah. Uh, I did the same thing with my nephew last time I came home in uh, June when I talked to him. And then I started bawling at his kitchen table. But, yeah, it's just the uh, making sure that nobody feels the way that I ever felt. Mm-hmm. The influence that you can have in the other people, in the people around you, in the people that you love. Uh, yeah. Thank you for being on and for sharing your story. Uh, I hope you continue to share your story, um, whether it's through this podcast or through other outlets. I'm excited to hear about your. Um, presentation with NAMI that you're working on. Um, mm. that's, 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 that's not really a presentation. It's more of we're just sitting in a council and people are going to be asking questions, I think, but still. Panel discussion. Mm. You're a subject yeah. matter expert. You're, yeah, you're someone with lived experience that can help others out. Um, yeah, and then have you thought about kind of other ways that you can, I think maybe that's what you were getting at with one of your questions, is kind of how do you continue to share journey and story in a meaningful way? Um, yeah, uh, because obviously this is the uh, test run. Yep. And uh, this is a test run for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is our test run too. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be a, another one six from, months from now or whatever once I can say that I'm graduated and done with that. Yeah. That's uh. Yeah, there. I'm sure there'll be more speaking engagements in my future at some point as things go on. Yep. Something you're interested in doing. Something that you'll find value in something that's hard to do but worth it yeah yeah and i think part of it was like growing up and when we would have to give a presentation in high school or anything i i'm sure i have to do something with the local self-conference where i was scared to do any public speaking it is just this 
It's the number one fear. Yeah. It's it's the it's the hardest thing to do in the <laughs> I world. <laughs> um, I felt I feel it too. I regularly feel it. Just you and I have had conversations about it. I love speaking in public. Must be nice. <laughs> and and how much, how much wine are you drinking? <laughs> and it's hard. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's sure. and it's for challenging sure. and difficult yeah. depending on what the topic is, yeah. right? Like yeah, when, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, it's hard to to put yourself into uncomfortable spaces as you have done as yeah. you move through this journey and are learning to get more and more comfortable with the discomfort of expressing emotions, more comfortable with sharing story and more comfortable with being transparent. So I appreciate you being on and, and appreciate you being here and sharing sharing your I, story. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just glad to have the opportunity and like I said to him yesterday or was that Saturday morning or whatever day it was, it was how uncomfortable I felt and I'm like, but I have to do this. I, I literally put that in there like, mm. I have to do that. Mm. Yeah. You did it, man. Yeah. yeah, and we'll do it again. Yes. yes. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Appreciate it.